Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 146 of Yoga Land. Today, my guest is Catherine Priori Gunnam, who is a dear friend of mine and a massively impressive person. She was on episode 16, so if you enjoy this one, you can go back and listen to that one as well. Catherine is the founder of an organization called Headstand, which was an innovative nonprofit that taught mindfulness programs and yoga to K through 12 students in low income schools in California, and at one point in New York as well. She's a former public school teacher, and she's a mom of two little girls. And she has a new book called Yoga for Kids. And I have been wanting to do a Yoga for Kids episode for a very long time, and I've gotten some great pitches. But it's a really complicated topic. And so I wanted to start with someone who I know well and who is just so well-versed, both from the perspective of teaching in a school setting and then also from the perspective of being a mother. I myself still struggle to figure out how I want to impart yoga to our daughter. And it's something that sometimes I feel like I do really well. And sometimes life takes over and I don't want her interrupting my practice. And I don't have sort of the inner resources to constantly figure things out in terms of persuading her and interesting her in the practice. So this conversation I had with Catherine, I wanted to give you guys a little bit of background of Headstand and what she did with Headstand and why she developed the program the way that she did. For those teachers out there listening who might be thinking about starting to take their yoga teaching to the school systems, because she did it in a very conscious and organized, isn't a great word, but in a very organized way so that Headstand was part of the school curriculum which meant that it wasn't an elective for students. They didn't have a choice whether they wanted to be there or not. They had to be there. And that gave her a chance to consistently expose the students who perhaps weren't initially interested in yoga to the practice over and over again. And she found some really great changes with some of the students over the years. It also afforded her the opportunity to be on staff and to have access to the inner workings of the school, the inner workings of the staff, what their philosophy was, and how they could sort of help her reach their particular students. So I think that's a really cool part of what she did. And I think it's very unique and special. So that's sort of the beginning of the interview. And then toward the end, we talk about creating space for yoga in your family for the different age groups and, you know, kind of how long you can expect the attention span to last and what to emphasize and how to incorporate it throughout your day and and with your family. So I, this is one of my favorites. I would love to know if this is a topic that you're interested in, because like I said, there are so many people out there teaching yoga to kids. I see you all. I appreciate you have complete gratitude for you. And if you write to me at support at Jason Yoga and let me know that this is a topic that you're interested in, not pitching yourself, but just something that you want to hear, hear more about. Do let me know, or you could let me know on Instagram and tag your post Yoga Land stories. Okay. Enjoy the interview. Hello, my dear. Hi. How are you? I'm great. I'm so glad you're here in the flesh. Like, me too. Doing this live. This is really present. fun. It's yeah. fun. So I want to start by giving people a little bit of background of your history. You started as a classroom teacher. I did. And then you started Headstand, which I talked about in the intro. So 
What was it that compelled you to start this yoga program in schools? That's a great question with a couple of different answers. I was a stressed out school teacher, so I was learning how to manage my stress as a new teacher when I discovered yoga. I was very fortunate to discover yoga as a first-year teacher, and I saw the transformative effects it had on me. I saw that my students were also responding to me in a different way when I was calmer. Imagine that. So I wondered if yoga and meditation could be applied in the classroom as a way for kids to cope better with their own stress. Mostly, though, what compelled me to start the program was that I saw that stress really was an epidemic Mm. in the classroom and in some of the communities that I was working in as a teacher. And I also saw that yoga and mindfulness... At this point, this was 2001, 2002, there wasn't quite a critical mass of yogis like we have now. And, you know, it was sort of a highly separate system where you had to go to a yoga studio and you had to be able to have access to that studio to gain knowledge about yoga and stress reduction and meditation And when I started Headstand, I was really inspired by this idea of providing more access and giving access to students who just might need different coping mechanisms or benefit from the coping mechanisms that exist inside this great system of yoga. Mm -hmm. So you focused on a specific kind of school when you started your program? Yes, I was working mostly in schools that were addressing the opportunity gap, schools where kids might be considered more high risk or at risk, lower socioeconomic schools, schools in communities that were a little bit more depressed economically. Yeah. And when you started the program, did you start with a specific grade level or did you do was it broader than that when I started I began with fifth through eighth grade okay that's a good age group to it to was teach. it was Such a great a challenging transitional time of people's lives it, it really was yeah. and that was primarily throughout the life of headstand we focused on middle school um working at points with all different grades but It was a great entry point for me, too, because I had been an eighth grade teacher, and uh, it was very humbling in the beginning. I'm sure. Yes. (laughs) So suffice it to say, not all the kids took to yoga right away. Oh, indeed not. (laughs) (laughs) Suffice it to say, I had a couple of angels who, you know encouraged me to keep going as most of the children were very skeptical Uh and, you know, not understanding at all what yoga was there for in the first place. Why did this exist in their school? And who is this crazy yoga lady coming (laughs) to teach them how to breathe and move their body in these awkward positions? So... I had to clean up my game and really become a much more effective and efficient teacher. Mm. And that first year was very interesting. <laughs> it's amazing because when I I did a, a story for Yoga Journal about to headstand, and so I visited a couple of the classes, and this was 
many years later after you'd started the program and all the kids were super on board and, you know, participating and loved it. So it's awesome yes. to hear that, like, it had humble beginnings. Yes. <laughs> and how did you how did you cope with that? Like, how did you cope with it internally? And then how did you alter your teaching to yeah. make it more effective? I mean, you know, the same way that I did when I was a first year teacher, I had to start doing more yoga, more mm. meditation myself. Mm -hmm. I had to really refine um, all of the skills that I had gained in the classroom and learn how to apply those skills into a yoga classroom. And I didn't quite understand what an undertaking that was. I think my naivete served me well in the beginning. Mm -hmm. it, you know, it I I was able to start something despite uh, many of the challenges that I faced. And I was also really fortunate to be surrounded by great classroom teachers and other content areas. And so I learned so much from them and from the administrators on site at the schools where I was working. And they were real mentors and coaches for me in the beginning as I would try to apply some of the tricks of the trade into a more yogic classroom where you're just building yoga and meditation curriculum mm -hmm. and trying to refine, create a sense of urgency in the classroom, I think, too, huh. in the sense that yoga is important and we're here to learn and it's not some hippy-dippy like anything goes. 45 minute class we're going to do together. Here. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned you learn from the other content teachers and the administrators. So this seems to be like one of the advantages to the way that you set it up, which is that you set it up not just as like an, like an after school class that anyone could sign up for. It was you pitched it as part of the school curriculum. And so you were, were you on staff at the schools? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I really felt strongly about integrating the class as a part of the curriculum and making it a requirement mm -hmm. for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, I was concerned that, you know, the mission was really to help students cope with stress. Mm -hmm. And if it was an elective, I worried that, you know, most kids are not going to elect in. Mm -hmm. They're not, especially kids who may need strategies the most. In the beginning, maybe the most resistant. That's perfectly normal. Yeah. Resistance is, you know, a healthy and normal attitude towards a Things new... Things that are challenging. And yes, yeah. a new area, a new content area in your school. And especially something like yoga that requires stillness and breathing and a presence of mind that may be scary mm -hmm. for certain students who have more trauma. So I saw it as my real duty to figure out a better way to teach in that environment and to make it interesting for the students and failed many times, <laughs> but persisted. And I think it was that sense of persistence over the years that helped create a really great school curriculum that made big impact in the school sites that we served. Yeah. So since it was part of the curriculum, how did you structure it so that the school would actually accept this as part of the official curric curriculum? 
in the beginning, um, we structured it so that the school paid very little money for the program. Uh-huh. And so in the first couple of years, we were subsidizing the cost of the program. We also worked in tandem with the specials teams. So we started at KIPP Summit Academy in San Lorenzo, and we were a part of a rotation that included PE and art and technology. Uh-huh. That way we could serve all 400 students without taking anything away. We were simply adding to the experience of the students. So they still received PE. It wasn't a replacement. Uh-huh. But they were able to add and integrate in yoga and mindfulness. And then in terms of like the curriculum that you covered itself, like how detailed did you have to be with a public school at the beginning of a semester about what you were going to cover? We had to be pretty detailed. So <laughs> circling back to being surrounded by great mentors, one of the requirements at this specific site that we partnered with in the beginning was heavy planning. So we had to create a year-long plan, and we also had to create unit plans and daily lesson plans. So everything was highly planned out. They all matched with certain state standards that addressed health and wellness, and those were actually included in each and every lesson plan. So we knew what we were working on, and there was a system and a theme throughout the year. And then in a 45-minute class, how much of the class did you spend on the different components of yoga? That's also a great question. There's a little bit of a formula in the sense that we always tried to teach some kind of breathing technique or meditation with structured breathing, asana with yoga poses, and we also, though, used variations on yoga. So we did a lot of journaling and reflection and inquiry. We did a lot of conversation and dialogue in order to help children process the experience of yoga. So for example, one thing I always enjoyed doing at the beginning and end of every class was very simple, but just asking kids to describe in one word how they're feeling. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of class, to describe in one word how they're feeling and to help them track their thoughts and emotions Mm. to see if there is any difference without encouraging them to have a positive outcome at the end. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, so we don't, the goal is not this perfect class where everyone feels relaxed in the end. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the answers were surprising. Mm -hmm. Maybe someone felt more sad or angry. Maybe something happened during class that they didn't like, you know, but just to empower them to track how they're feeling and to see feelings change. Yeah, absolutely. Like building that self-awareness. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. Like building the awareness of, okay, I just spent however long moving in my body. Now, how do I feel? I just spent however long thinking about my breath. Exactly. Now, how do I feel? Exactly. That's Especially smart. when you're not opting in or paying $25 to attend class. You right. know, these are like we had to <laughs> yeah. build a rationale and help kids identify what was happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't prepare you for this question, so it might take you a minute to call to mind. But I'm just wondering if you have an, 
a story or two about a student who you met who maybe when you started out, they were resistant or, you know, they, they were having certain challenges and then you felt like the yoga really helped them over time? Yes. Um, a couple of stories come to, to mind. One is a young, he was a seventh grader when he started my class and he was super resistant, did not enjoy yoga initially, um, but he was on an IEP and... So in California, that means an individualized education plan. Exactly. Usually it means they need some kind of extra support at school. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And the team that was working with him of educators was looking for resources for him to use to help him out inside the school. And so as time went on, he, you know, I really tried hard to build a relationship with him first with many of my kids that was what was required in Mm. order to gain some kind of buy-in for yoga itself and I loved my kids and enjoyed them so I was willing to work hard to build those relationships eventually he got yoga written into his IEP oh wow and he really learned to love it he's very athletic and so it helped him have a sense of mastery Going so extreme in one class where he had an especially patient English teacher who would let him get up and do handstands in the back of the room when he felt like he had that extra energy. And it was a way for him to simply have something he felt mastery over and something physical Mm -hmm. that gave him the release that perhaps he needed instead mm-hmm. of, let's say, throwing a pencil at the teacher mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. pounding a fist in the desk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was pretty remarkable to see his transformation and the way that he used yoga as a real resource in those moments when he was getting triggered. Wow, that's that's awesome. I, I feel like one of the things I notice, at least in California, is we've come a really long way since when we were kids where, you know, you were expected to sit at your desk and be still and be quiet and do your work. And if you didn't, you were a problem. I feel like there's just so much more of an understanding that kids do better, A, when they get more breaks, and B, when they get to be in their body more. You know, I mean, I even see it with my own kid, even when I'm doing homework with her and she, she struggles with attention, which is normal for a six-year-old. And she might struggle with attention more than other kids. I'm not sure. She has to take breaks while she's doing her homework and like bounce on a trampoline. Yep. She has to. Yep. It's just, (laughs) just... and it actually works. That's right. I mean, children need to move and they need to play and we can fight that and be frustrated with the results, kids not just stepping into line or following our directions, or we can try strategies that might work to our advantage. And I would say being immersed in a school site the way Headstand was for so many years, another magical outcome that really, I think, made a more profound impact on the school is that many of the teachers started doing yoga and meditating with the help of our teachers on site and then started integrating even more minutes of movement and yoga in the classroom and more mindfulness in the classroom Yeah, to the extreme point where certain classes 
would refuse to take a test without doing mindfulness. You know, one of the kids would raise their hand and say, oh, I can't take this test. I haven't done our mindfulness yet. You know, wow. I mean, like they really? wanted to tune in first. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So when you were think- talking about, you know, getting frustrated, the, the, the idea of getting frustrated if kids don't fall into line, I mean, what it makes me think about is the fact that the way that we were taught like I have a great attention span and yes. that is perhaps because I, it was drilled into me. Yes. Perhaps it might, it might also just be my genetic makeup, Right. but I was extremely, by the time I finished my schooling, I was extremely disconnected from my body. Yeah. I completely overrode every impulse to take care of myself yeah. at the expense of working or, you know what I mean? Yes. Sitting there. Yes. I, I completely ignored and just like steamrolled yeah. and, and so I think so many of us have taken to yoga because we had to kind of unlearn yes. a lot of that disembodiment. Yes. So it'd be so nice if our kids didn't have that. I it's don't know. so true. <laughs> and, you know, I admittedly, when I first started teaching yoga to children, you know, you catch yourself projecting these ideas of uh, what we were taught yeah. onto children. And there were moments when... You know, I would be frustrated with a classroom of kids doing yoga and saying outrageous things like, everyone get into Dog Dog right now. <laughs> oh, how absurd is this? Okay. I'm so sorry, seventh grade, uh, wherever you are now. But, you know, you, you practice and you learn and you kind of shed those old tendencies and it takes a lot of awareness and I'm happy that our kids... Hopefully we'll have a different experience of schooling with more breaks and more opportunities for self-care. Yeah. I mean, oh gosh, it remains to be seen. It does. But it does It does <laughs> feel like at least in the grade school years, yes. there is overall at least some awareness of the need. That's right. Like That's right. And that, that goes, that's got to go And you way. as a parental figure right. with a trampoline. Right, right, You right, know, right. understanding like, okay, honey, take a break. I know. Sometimes <laughs> I'm like, just go jump. I just can't take it. Just go jump. Jump it out. You have written this wonderful book that yes. I will link to on the show notes page called Yoga for Kids. Yes. And I had the fun experience of you teaching at my daughter's school yesterday, Yay. which was so awesome. <laughs> I can't believe it was the first time I ever got to see you teach kids because anytime yeah. I went to a headstand class, right. you already had staff That's at that right. point. Yeah. So it was my first time of getting to see you. It was such a pleasure. That was really fun. And we and it was cute because they were five and six-year-olds. So just like any five and six-year-olds, they were kind of, their attention was all over the place. And, you know, their willingness to participate even was kind of all yeah. over the place throughout the class. And then we got a text last night from one of the moms like, oh, so-and-so had such a great, she came yeah. home and said it was the best, yoga was the yeah. best part of her day, which is awesome. So great. And also just another reminder to people out there that like, if you're teaching kids, like you n just have no idea what impact you're really making That's right. and, and what their experience of it is is like so 
one of the things that I love about your book in the sort of intro part is you talk about different ways to structure trying to do a practice yeah. with your own kids. Yes. And I am not the master of this yet. <laughs> Nor am I. It's lifelong practice. It is. It is. But you're really practical and encouraging, which I think is nice. And so I would love to talk about like just if you're going to try to do yoga with your kids, yeah. where do you start in terms of like a reasonable amount of time to quote unquote expect them to practice with you? Yes. Let's say at the different age groups, you know, yeah. like yeah. Todd, like three and four year olds sure. and then yes. five and six. Yeah. 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 So yeah. So first I would say any amount of yoga is Good yoga. Yeah. So any amount, kudos to you. Like you're trying to get something in and modeling for them that this is a practice that you love mm-hmm. and it has helped you in your life. I think that's extremely potent and powerful. With young toddlers like Olive and Zara, I have a three and a four-year-old. I like to just try to get in little pockets of practice. So I would say no more than like three to five minutes will they usually last. Yeah. Like actually if I'm doing a yoga glow with Jason or something, they might follow along. Of course, she's always wondering why you aren't teaching. I know. (laughs) So funny. So funny. (laughs) So they do enjoy just following along with the practice too. But if I'm doing something just designed for them to kind of engage them in a moment, picking the moment I think is almost more important than the amount of time. So, you know, there are these moments in our days where we're rushing, like before school, before drop-off. I always find that's such a hectic time. Even just once you land in the car, Mm -hmm. asking everyone to put their hands on their belly and do a breath or just kind of a breath to reset. That's language I love to use when I'm teaching kids. Like, let's just take a breath to reset when they're not triggered Mm -hmm. so that maybe when they are triggered, this is a technique they can call upon again. Right, right, right. But at home, I like to do little pockets, let's say right after pickup. So when we come home, they're usually, they've been keeping it together all day in preschool. And they just need a little time to unwind or play. We might play a yoga game. We have some games in the book or just do couple of poses at a time Mm -hmm. and work on doing the breathing. I will say both girls get to do some yoga at school, so I will also ask them what they learn and Mm -hmm. ask them to be the teacher. Oh, that's cute. It's very cute. That's a really cute idea. Yeah. Yeah. And then how about, so, you know, we taught yesterday, you taught for 45 minutes. Yeah. And that's ages five and six. That's right. So... And having said that, they were definitely not focused the whole right. time. Right. So if you're at home, yes. five and six, you're not going to get 45 minutes. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. But you might. Yeah. You never know. And I thought it was even interesting to see Olive with the older kids. She totally did it. Hang in there for 45 minutes. Yeah. So you never know. Yeah. And I think with once you get into the five, six-year-old range, you could aim more for like a 20, Mm -hmm. 30-minute practice. Mm -hmm. 
reflecting on that class, I was even thinking next time I would integrate more poses Mm -hmm. and more of the asana. They were really capable and eager to engage in the physical aspect. Right. I like designing things that just fit with your individual needs and Mm -hmm. your day. Mm -hmm. Where does it make sense for your six-year-old to have a 10-minute practice? And maybe 10 minutes of that practice needs to be two to three minutes of rest Mm -hmm. or two to three minutes of meditation that's guided. Being really wise about choices around timing, I think, and pacing. Mm -hmm. So sometimes my girls seem so amped up after school. Mm -hmm. I realize, you know, they're actually just overtired. Mm -hmm. So they don't really need to do some crazy, you know, yoga practice that's really fast. Maybe they just need me to turn on some music and spray them with the peaceful spray, mm-hmm. lavender, essential oils, and water. That really. was a hit yesterday, that was a by hit. the way. Peaceful I'm definitely getting peaceful hit. spray for Jason. Actually, when I he left teaches. it there. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> we'll steal it. Yeah, yeah. It's all yours. It's a gift. And choosing what you think they might need and then asking as you do the practice with them more asking them to choose they'll start to regulate themselves and ask for certain things Hmm. that over time maybe they would not have had you know the experience or wisdom to choose but I think a lot of times kids are so fascinating in the sense that they know what they need Mm -hmm. When we can tune in Hmm. and really listen to them. Yeah. I have a funny story, which I hope my friend Chelsea doesn't mind me telling this story, but she practices with Jason on Uh Yoga Glow. She has four kids. Wow. Youngest is Sophia's age. Okay. And she, Milo is his name. And she started telling him, he, I think, started practicing on Yoga Glow with Jason with her one day. And she told him it was a video game. (laughs) He would get points for like each pose he did, oh, yes. and he believed it, and he yes. got really into it. I love it, which is I so funny. Love it. But the point being that one of the things I noticed that you did yesterday, which I just I have to get into that mindset. It's a little bit of a struggle for me because I'm not I'm not really naturally a very playful person. Yeah. But you made a lot yeah. of it into different games. Yeah. Like you chunked it out into small pieces into different games yes I'm if you could see me I am rolling my eyes a little bit because I am also not naturally like a game player I was more of a middle school high school teacher and I wanted it to be more serious Mm -hmm. Uh, but over time and especially with the younger age groups like three four five six even up to ten eleven I did realize that an appeal to the imagination and turning the pacing into something that could also be playful, like a game, really helped engage kids, Mm -hmm. engage students. And these are things, these are why I think, you know, teachers of the younger years are so brilliant and remarkable because it takes 
a lot of energy and imagination to engage little ones. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think you saw, you know, you also have to just be super mindful yourself when something is bombing, move on. Don't even, you know. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. (laughs) Just keep going. Yeah. And remain calm and, you know, just try to remain as loving towards them as you can possibly be. And they get that. I think they really feel the energy that's coming from their teachers and on a deep level. Yeah. I, 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 you were loving and firm, which I think was really wise. And I could also tell, I could tell that you were a classroom teacher because you knew like when to let them, a couple of them kind of goof off and then you kind of knew when to rein them and like, okay, let's stand up. Everyone stand up. It's just like you weren't going to let all of them (laughs) kind of goof off forever. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Yeah. So in the book, I can remember, I think it was a sidebar or it was just, I just remember reading in the book, you talked about how, and you've talked about this a little bit, that some of the students who perhaps need the practice the most resisted the most in the beginning, like, and in the book, you talked about kids with ADHD. Do you have any advice for, yeah. 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 Oh, it's so, you know, true, right? It's like when it's hard to sit still and it's hard to be in your body, yoga can be a real challenge and you don't want to cause a child additional anxiety. Sure. By saying like you have to do yoga now because it's good for you, that, yeah. and then that that kind of old you know top down system doesn't work so well. But I do think that kids respond to a strong rationale and a nurturing rationale. And when we say to them, "This could help you. Let's try it. Let's see what happens." I did find that a lot of my kids who were the most resistant, were won over quite profoundly in Hmm. the end. I have one story, one anecdote that really captures that. It was a boy who was diagnosed with ADHD and several other issues psychologically. He abhorred my class. (laughs) I mean, just (laughs) hated it. And despised yoga and just was, you know, vocal about it, very vocal and very funny. I mean, really, really (laughs) funny kid, you know, had some super legitimate points. (laughs) I get it, buddy. Yeah, Yeah. this is totally weird. I know. (laughs) We're like, butt up in the air and I'm telling you to breathe and you're you're a seventh grader. Um, However... Over time, and this is years, this is over the span of three years of weekly practice on site at school, and I will say he did shift to having a male teacher, and I think there was something powerful for him about not having me and having a male teacher in that role. He ran up to me one day when I was there to observe my teacher, and he looked me in the eye, and he said, I get it. I get it now. Wow. (laughs) I really get this yoga. And never in my life did I expect this child to make that statement. I think it's a real testament to practice and persistence and 
a yogic idea of, you know, when you're ready, you're ready. When you're ready, when you're going to bloom, you're going to bloom. When you're receptive, you're receptive. It's very tough to sometimes push through any of this. And I think the other thing, like you said before, is you never know how you are affecting a child. While I knew it was his defensive mechanism to say he hated yoga Mm -hmm. and hated me, he was also having some fun in the class, you know? He was also doing some of the poses and making attempts at certain times. Yeah. Um, You know. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, that little story, it's, it's, it's like we've, we can all relate to that with one thing or another in our life that, you know, it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel right. It didn't feel right. And then there's some kind of shift. That's right. And then it. That's right. Yeah. And I think something like a system like yoga, it's interesting because it might have different cultural connotations or not every parent is going to like yoga. There might be information that's being passed down to a child. Sure. So, you know, all of these are just natural defenses. And, you know, it's also, I think, a testament to letting a kid hate something. mm Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't uh, trying to get that child to love it. Mm-hmm. Let go ahead. Like, it's okay. <laughs> Be resistant. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really smart. So it kind of brings to mind for me the question, I guess, you know, with, with different age groups, I'm sure it's different. But how overt, you know, are you or, or can we be about, like, what we're trying to accomplish by doing this practice. Yeah. And then how much of it did you keep just implicit? And like, yeah. That's yeah, that. that's a great question. And I think in the early years, I relied heavily more on this sort of like implicit um, idea that kids would hopefully have the experience I did Mm -hmm. where they felt better in their bodies and their minds and their hearts after yoga Mm -hmm. in a best case scenario. As the years went on though, I realized, you know, I'm a little touchy feely. Not every child is. Some children and some adults need the science. Mm. Some children need a really solid explanation as to why we are doing something and know that they are also kind of working towards something Mm -hmm. without leaning too heavily on kind of like that striving Mm -hmm. aspect, but to know that if we practice we can evolve our practice. Mm-hmm. And as we learn more, we become more proficient, mm-hmm. just like any other content area. Yeah. Some kids really do thrive on, like, even if it's not overt to them, but just this, the idea of pro- pro- progressing yeah. and, like, goals yeah. and things like that. It's fascinating to see. My daughter, Olive, is really sort of oriented that way. Oh, wow. yeah. And, you know, it's funny because I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So. Yeah, Sophia's not either. I think it's um overwhelming to her. Yeah. It's like, no, yeah. too much pressure. Right. 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 Yeah. I can relate to that, yeah. Sophia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I guess the last question I have is if you were to kind of summarize what you hoped to convey 
to your students about yoga? Like if you had like three things that you just wished they would take away or even your own kids, yeah. you know, what would the, what would that be? I think the f- most important one for me is that you always have your breath. You always have this capacity to take a breath to reset. Mm-hmm. That like truly in life, there's opportunity for you to steady yourself, to build your confidence, to remind yourself of who you truly are mm-hmm. inside without all the noise, like this inner beauty and light that every single child has that is so profound you always have that Mm -hmm. you know that that I think is really maybe the answer to why I created headstand Mm -hmm. if we can teach children this this I think is a game changer you know and to peel back the layers for some of them to even recognize that inside themselves and A couple of other important aspects, I think, to what I would want kids to feel, you know, I think it's really empowerment. It's empowerment and that ability for self-care. And that self-care is empowering. Mm -hmm, You know, mm -hmm. when you learn to steady yourself and really nurture yourself that that is real empowerment yeah sky is the limit baby you know yeah, when every kid to understand that that there there really are no limitations like you can you can be who you are and who you are in this very moment is so perfect <laughs> that's awesome yeah I had this therapist who used to say to me like this is a long time ago. He used to say, get your needs met, get your needs met. And it was really hard for me because it was a time in my life where I didn't know what my needs were. Yes. And I think that that's something like I hope for Sophia that, you know, if she starts to do yoga more, that that recognition of what your individual unique needs are from moment to moment empowers you to be able to respond in a way that like helps you function better. That's just right. Helps you Do the things you want to do because we are all wired differently. Yes. (laughs) Some of us are more, need more help than others, like myself. Amen, sister. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like to be able to learn that younger rather than, you know, for me, it was like a crash course at 23, graduated from college. Oh my God, like now what do I do with myself? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I think, you know, if we give kids an opportunity to track that while they're young and to build this as a skill and as a real nurturing resource, Mm -hmm. they're going to just enhance that and evolve that through their lives and to really honor their individuality and their creativity. Yeah. Amen, sister. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for being here. Oh, so much fun. Thank you, Andrea. Thanks again for listening. I'll put show notes at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 146. If you enjoy the podcast, it is so appreciated if you share it, send it to a friend, talk to people about it, and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Okay, until next week, enjoy your practice. And uh, I don't know, hopefully you can impart your practice on a little person in your life too, and they'll enjoy it too. Thanks. Thanks.